Welcome to the Clemson Goes to Hell podcast, all parts by Robert Raplin. Chapter 1, The Valley of Regrets. After a century and a half and 20,000 miles, Clemson still hadn't been able to put this place behind him. Maybe he needed to see if he'd done any lasting good for this world, or maybe he just craved an end to the story. Either way, he was drawn back to the Valley of Regrets. 800 years had passed in this world, suggesting a backslide from the Iron Age he'd built. He found the watchtower that overlooked the city abandoned. One wall collapsed where a cliff had eroded underneath it. The precipice gave him a good view of the remnant of the city that the forest had yet to whittle away. He couldn't even tell where the three-story palace used to overlook his capital. Anger and grief swelled in his chest, but he pushed it down. This is catharsis, he told himself. He'd have to learn their oral histories to find out what happened after he left. The bard he'd shared his camp with sang of the night of terror when the emperor went mad and killed thousands, but he was pretty sure that there were no more than a couple hundred in the palace that night. Visions of bodies being shredded by his death walker flashed through his mind. Time had boiled those memories down to burned-in certainties and gruesome dioramas. He took a deep breath and ran his hand over his bald head, promising himself some meditation in the ruins to drain the power of those memories. It wouldn't help to mull over them now. Perhaps he had been mad. He wanted to believe that his rage was a side effect of the poison that they'd used on him. But it was also possible that years of frustration and denial burst like a dam after he'd been betrayed by those he trusted most. His thaumachanical mule and cart awaited him outside of the tower. Statement, time, three hours and twenty minutes afternoon. The monk's reeds clicked in homunculus nonotone. Query, find you anything interesting? Yes, Clemson clicked back. He gave the mule a summary of his observations, knowing that the homunculus would record what he told it on thaumaturgically coated spools of silver wire. End report. He climbed into the saddle and put his helmet back on. Intent travel we to school. Query, are sad, you, the machine asked. Query, play song, me, declined. It comforted him to travel with an entity with worse social skills than his own, but this wasn't the time. Please discontinue banter. Confirmed, it chimed. The encroaching vegetation on the road confirmed his suspicions about the collapse of trade. Halfway down, he took a side path that led to a meadow where a partial ring of granite columns rose from a field of waist-high grass. His aqueduct ran across one side of the mountain above the meadow, its graceful stone arches showing little sign of erosion. The aqueduct was where it had all started. The valley needed water, so he built an aqueduct. Simple, right? He should never have gotten into government. Maybe he shouldn't have stayed at all. When he approached the circle, he was surprised by a marble statue of himself at the far end. A corroded copper plate on the base read, Aqueous, God of Aqueducts. Not a bad likeness and they got the embossed sigils on the pseudo-stole right. He considered his current armor, realizing that he'd need to change before anyone saw him. A synthetic braying emanated from his mule. That was the mule's warning noise. Clemson looked and listened, but he didn't find anything out of place, so he walked back to the homunculus. What was that? The monk tapped a hoof on the ground, reminding him that he'd disabled commentary. Please resume banter. The mule immediately replied, Alert! Witter clearance alarm! It took Clemson a moment to remember what the alarm did, but then terror gripped him. He shouted, Imperative! Emergency Protocol H! The low-clearance warning for the mule's four-dimensional constructs hadn't triggered since he tested it. There was nothing out there. Nothing but hellion void ships.
Clemson hadn't mastered four-dimensional engineering, but he understood it well enough to hide things there. The mule detonated the explosive coupling that attached it to its cart, and the saddlebags dropped to the ground. Abandoning its semblance of the equine, its carapace expanded and ports opened, internal components shifting to and from the nominal volume. The saddling gimbal vanished, launched into the drape volume as a machine turret swung into place. Dread overlaid his terror when it occurred to him how long it would take him to reassemble it all. His mule could take out an entire phalanx, but he'd seen the craters made by hellions. Most of them just amused themselves with questionable trade practices, but there were tales of roving bands that would treat civilizations like their playground or loot and run. Their ability to cull magic and technology from other worlds made them hazardous at best. He popped the bindings on his cart and hefted his weapon, alert for any shift in the environment. A breeze rustled over the tall grass that grew on either side of the roadway, but otherwise all was silent. The saddle assembly startled him by reappearing in the nominal plane and crashing to the ground. Did void ships make a sound? Twenty feet away and six feet up, an axe head faded in and fell, soon followed by a skeleton. Worn olive green clothing materialized around it, and then the rest of a woman appeared as she dropped and rolled, keeping her halberd in hand. Hellion paratroopers? He leveled the shotgun end of his weapon at her while four more people fell out of the sky around him. Their rumpled clothing looked to be made of natural fibers, and their pasty skin lacked the distinctive sunburnt hue of hellions. He relaxed a little with the hope that these might not be technologically advanced supremacists. Would you use in charge? he demanded. He knew they wouldn't understand him, but his tone conveyed confidence. He relied upon his helmet to hide his worry and uncertainty. A woman to his right, tall and dark-haired, wearing a baggy shirt and pants with a muted green and brown floral print, replied something like, I'm la Garfungaloops Rix, while pointing a tube at him. Pain flared in his head as the gift of tongues made room for their language, but he maintained his angry scowl and held up a finger, stating, You aren't going to understand this, but I have to keep you talking until I learn your language. The tall woman growled something to a short, light-haired man wearing denim and plaid. As the man replied, their language coalesced in Clemson's mind and comprehension of their previous statements spilled in. Are you the builder? I thought you said he'd know our language. Maybe you can get your own intel next time. They weren't speaking Hellion trade speak, but still couldn't be mistaken for friendly. Who are you and what do you want? He demanded in their language. The short man shot an energetic ha at the woman. She ignored him and addressed Clemson. You're definitely the builder. We need your brain. I'm using it. The shorter woman scowled. Not that brain, the mechanical one. I'm using that one too. You haven't answered my questions. What problem is that brain going to solve for you? Their lax posture and poor discipline ruled out an organized military. And while you're at it, tell me where you stole the void ship. The woman exchanged worried glances with her compatriots, and then everything went to hell, figuratively speaking. A loud crack behind him heralded a spike of pain in his left shoulder. He blew a hole through the woman in front of him while falling out of the way of what came next. The crack of the mule's railgun told him that his mule had just eliminated whoever had shot him. Clemson rolled onto his back, agony engulfing his shoulder. The short woman raised her halberd, but before she could bring it down, a blue-green bolt split his vision, leaving an afterimage of a blinding ray of light passing through the woman's exploding head. The tall woman yelled, Assholes! and ran away. An amorphous white blob materialized around his mule, enveloping it. Clemson used his weapon like a crutch to push himself to his feet. 
The two remaining not-really-hellions ran towards the blob. Blue-green bursts lit up the blob from the inside, and bolts cut an arc through the air, blowing the remaining man in half, but stopping after five shots. This worried Clemson. The gun should have worked for at least twenty. The bubble must be gumming it up. The ground shook and a shockwave blew past him. Dozens of white cords extended from the bubble to where a ripple shattered the air. A metal box the size of a small barn materialized at the other end of the cords with an entrance like a hangar door. The remaining attacker jumped into the hangar and the cords dragged the bubble along the ground. Clemson limped to his cart, his shoulders shooting pain through him with every step. No running for him. Blood dripped from his limp left hand. The leather strap that secured his toolbox to the cart resisted his clumsy one-handed effort, so he dug for a machete. An orange explosion burped a hole from inside the bubble, but it collapsed back in. A secondary explosion lit up the mule from the inside, and it stopped struggling. Damn, the maximum force protocol worked against him. Clemson flopped his weapon atop the chest and fired buckshot across the edge of the blob. Bits of white goo flew off, but he couldn't sever enough cords to matter. He dropped his weapon and found the machete. The best he could do with his injured shoulder was a weak trot, and the strands dragged the homunculus across the ground faster than he could move. The hangar door closed before he could reach it, and the big metal box faded from the nominal plane. He collapsed to his knees, spots crowding his vision. Pulling off his helmet, he puked into the grass and cursed in three languages. Damn them! Survival first, he reminded himself. Nobody would come to his rescue. He harnessed his anger to drag himself back to his cart and used the machete to slice his tool chest free. He wished he'd thought of that before. With a whistled command, the chest's lid popped off and sprouted six limbs. He ordered the trunk monkey to help him out of his armor. The shot had shattered his alchemically hardened wooden backplate and punctured his molten polymer gambeson. Although the gift of vigor had already staunched the bleeding... He had to use the monk's remote vid feed and an unhealthy dose of alcohol to pick the lead in splinters from his cracked scapula. Each of the three gifts had a downside. The flip side of vigor was that most children of the gifts died violently. He healed quickly, didn't age, didn't have to worry about infection, was difficult to poison, and even dealt well with sleep deprivation. But this didn't leave many ways to die. Wanderlust, connected to the gift of passage ensured that he didn't spend much time in the company of friends, and the sympathy that came with the gift of tongues made violence inevitable. The sun dipped to the horizon by the time he'd finished tending to his shoulder, so he had to drag his cart to the fire pit in front of the statue, cursing the not-actually-hellions the entire distance. How had they known about the thaumechanical brain housed in the mule? What use could they have for it? Didn't they know about the mule's weaponization? Maybe it was the weapons themselves they were after. Adrenal aftermath kept him awake while his trunk monkey built a fire and prepared dinner, but blood loss and alcohol made the world spin dangerously. He had to keep moving and stay awake until he could get some food into him, so he dragged the three and two halves bodies back to his camp and looted them. In between bites of ham sandwich, he found polygonal coins, wallets, papers, and odd collections of cards, all showing the regularity of automated manufacturing. He also found a couple of metal and glass bricks, no more than a half-inch thick. When he pressed a button on a brick side, the glass lit up like a vid display, except in color. Its surface covered in clusters of videograms that he didn't recognize. He'd have to crack one open after his arm healed. In the flickering firelight, anger sizzled under his calm exterior. 
They didn't just take his transportation, they took the culmination of the past century of tinkering and research. An artificial mind spanning 15 hyperlayers of thaumaturgical perceptron matrices, approaching human mental capacity while having access to a modular set of intelligences, sensors, and devices. Everyone needed a hobby. By stealing his hobby, they'd made an epic mistake. Now he needed a new one. If they could travel between worlds without portals, so could he. A flicker caught his attention. A brief reflection from some bit of metal beyond the dome of light created by his campfire. The crisp lines of fancy robes faded in from the shadows. Clemson considered grabbing a weapon, but he'd already exhausted his ammunition and was in no condition to fight. Fortunately, the figure wasn't dressed for conflict. The hemline wouldn't survive a walk in the park, much less the rough conditions an hour's walk from the local approximation of civilization. The robes resolved into a feminine form, slender but still curvy. The fabric resembled red oak, but flowed like silk instead of the rubbery drape of alchemically softened wood. She carried a walking stick instead of using it. At first, he thought the color of her skin was an artifact of the firelight. When she drew close, he realized that her face really was a vibrant, unnatural crimson. Black silky hair hung shoulder-length, framing her distinctly hellion angular bone structure. Clemson played up his exhaustion. Have you come to finish the job? The woman stopped on the other side of the fire and smiled. I think you're mistaking me for someone else. Do you need help? She spoke in Panthropolian, so she must know who he was. Clemson wouldn't put it past a hellion to stab someone so they could sell him a bandage. Not if it isn't free. Well then, do you mind if I sit? Her delicate lilt and soft trilling felt like essence of lullaby, but rapid instead of slow. Clemson offered a large log to his right, but the woman flourished, and her walking stick unfolded into a stool. Nice trick. I'm afraid I have you at a disadvantage. She sat and crossed her long legs. I've been following your career since you built this thing. She gestured up at the arch of the aqueduct, flickering red in the glow of the fire. I have a career. Unbidden memories washed over Clemson. Why would you bother having me followed? I didn't have you followed. I just buy reports from your biggest fans. Do you have any idea how well the Chronicles of the Children of the Gifts sells on the Hellion market? I purchased the rights to your stories after the first book, but if I hadn't, someone else would have. Even it up for me a little. Who are you? She smiled and spoke softly. Call me Victor, Baron of the Ninth Circle of Hell. <laughs> Don't be too impressed. They have a lot of barons up there. I'm looking to recover a stolen cargo ship. Victor glanced at the bodies. Victor, that's an odd name. It isn't a name, it's a title. You wouldn't believe what I had to do to get people to call me that. A story for another time, I'm sure. I bet you can tell me how they got hold of the ship. They didn't seem competent enough to earn it. They were competent enough to take your homunculus. At the cost of four lives. Lives are cheap on hell. Your mechanical brain might be worth more than the ship. She held an open hand towards the corpses. May I look? Be my guest. Victor collapsed her chair back into a walking stick and approached the cadavers. She pulled a glass metal brick from the folds of her robe and traced patterns on the glowing glass side with a finger. A light issued from the metal side, illuminating the corpses. After digging through the clothing, she asked, You wouldn't happen to have found one of these, would you? She waved her brick in Clemson's direction. I might have. What thought are they? They're called gladigs. Compact information storage, communications, sensors, that kind of thing. 
It occurred to Clemson that he might be able to use Victor to retrieve his monk. Will it help you find them? Maybe. If one of them was receiving telemetry, I could use it to track their departure. Would you take me along? I'd like a chance to retrieve my property too, you know. An exaggerated look of sadness crossed Victor's countenance. I'm sorry, but we're not allowed to accept unbonded passengers. Would you take my word that I would return it to you? Clemson failed to hide his affront. I'm sorry, do I know you? No, you have no way of convincing me. How do I avoid being an unbonded passenger? That's not advisable. You'd have to wear a security necklace at all times. Taking it off in any Hellion facility would be an instant death sentence. Is your machine really worth it? He had no intention of staying on the Hellion ship any longer than necessary, and knew he could cut through any collar they put on him. That's more than just a machine to me. It has the records of the worlds I passed through to get here. I might never find my way back home without it. Clemson watched his trunk monkey add more wood to the fire and felt a wash of sadness. It's also the closest thing I have to a friend, he mumbled. Victor's lip curled and she snorted. Some people have imaginary friends. It figured you'd have built a synthetic one. Very well, but remember I warned you. End Chapter 1 Hi, Rob here. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm still working out my technique, so please drop comments if you have any input. I intend to release chapters every Tuesday, but I've never been that reliable, so feel free to needle me if I get behind. Thank you for listening. This has been an Ankh Infinity production. Copyright 2024, Robert Raplin.